0: Father, thank you for that reminder today that no matter where we are in our lives, uh, that we are always safe in your presence. And Father, we just thank you so much that you've reminded us of that this morning. We just pray that as we uh, look into your word, that you would speak to each of us as you always do when we encounter your word, and that you would uh, give us life today and help us to uh, live as better people uh, because we have heard from you today. Thank you so much for uh, our families. Uh, Father, we know so many people are traveling uh, over the summer. So many of our families will be coming and going. And we just pray that you would, um, you would just walk with each of us wherever we might go. But thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving us a seat at your table. And, and we appreciate just how much you do for us every single day. May we claim those blessings today in Jesus' name. And the church together says, Amen. I don't know if you've noticed, it's been a little warm the last couple days. Um, and uh, anytime it's over 100 for more than three consecutive days, I'm convinced that it is sin in someone's life. And so I would like you to turn to the person next to you and confess whatever sin you're struggling with now so we can get this sorted out and confessed and we can move on. So I don't know who's been causing this. Do you have any ideas? Maybe your spouse is the one, or your one in your family, maybe one of your children. Uh, please let us know and we will pray over them. And we'll have a milder week, uh, hopefully, as well. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. It's a, just, just be safe out there. Wear lots of sunscreen and, you know, other kinds of things. It's Michael. Is he the problem? <laughs> okay, we're going to need some big hitters to pray over this guy. Uh, I don't know. No, I'm just kidding. We'll, we'll go from there. Okay, we're, we're in this series, and, and we're going to have kind of fun for the last two weeks of the series today and next week about asking Jesus a few questions. And I want to start maybe with a little bit of imagination. Do you ever imagine? Do you ever sit down and go, how would life be different if one or two things had gone differently in my life? And maybe right now, particularly, we think about money. Do you ever, you ever sit down and go, what if I had bought a bunch of stock from Tesla when it was $4 a share? You ever do this, right? What if I got on Bitcoin, like, you know, in the early days, right? Uh, how would my life be different? or What if I invested in Amazon or Apple or whatever it might have been? Um, I think sometimes we all kind of live in these little, bit, these, these little fantasies of, hey, how would my life be different if I'd made a couple of different choices or my luck had broken maybe a different way? You know, we live in a world today, uh, we call it, you know, it used to be the world of, of millionaires, right? You know, the world of millionaires was all around us and now that doesn't seem like a lot. A million dollars used to be a lot of money, right? Now it's not anymore. Now we live in the world of billionaires and not just Billionaires, multi-multi billionaires, and I believe in my lifetime uh, I will see we will see our first trillionaire. I believe that that's that's coming. And a lot of people think, oh, a billion, a million, what's the difference between that? If you ever do the calculations, and I know this is like silly things, and as soon as I say it, you're going to break out your phones and try to check my math, and that's fine. If if you wait for a million seconds to elapse, it's about two weeks. If you wait for a billion seconds to elapse it's almost 32 years. And if you wait for a trillion seconds to elapse, it's almost 33,000 years. Okay? These numbers are just, I don't think we can actually conceive of how big these numbers are. If you look at any statistics, and I know we have a few financial people here, uh, the goal of retirement is simple, that you should be debt-free and have a million dollars in the bank, right? You should have a house that's paid for, a car, all your debt's paid for, and you should have a million dollars, and you should draw no more than, what is it, Jeff, 4 to 5% a year, and then that money will last you forever. Now, that sounds huge, and some of you are going, yeah, I'm nailing it, and some of you are going, uh-oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's where Jesus comes in, and we have to pray a lot more. That's why I need to get rid of that sin in your life. No, I'm just kidding. Um, there was somebody that was asked in, uh, after the t- uh, 2008 crash of kind of the stock market. There were a lot of people that made a lot of money, and a lot of people that lost a lot of money. And there was this one investor that was asked by somebody else and said, Hey, w- what is your number? What, what is, when will it be enough? Like, when, when will you have amassed enough money? What is your number? And he simply looked at the guy and he said, that's really easy. My number is more. And that is something in our culture that we live with all the time. We live with this idea of we want more. And maybe the question we have to ask ourselves is, would more money really make my life easier? Would my life be so much better if I had more? What would that add to my life? Because everybody that has a lot of money is super happy and all of their marriages work out and their kids are just, you know, thriving. It doesn't always work that way. I love, listen, anybody not upset about gas prices? Anybody? Okay. We're still below the world average, so I think we're, you know, we're okay. I think what's really funny is perspective. Okay. Most of us work probably, I know there's a few exceptions. Most of us probably work within 10 miles of our home. In Emerald, that's that's kind of a likely thing, which means if you drive a fairly efficient car, it might cost you a gallon of gas to get to and from work. Now, some of you live a little further, and I understand that that's your choice. Uh, so you're just going to have to, you know, get over it and suck it up. You hear people that they're like, well, you know, gas is so expensive. Gas is what, like four sixty a gallon now. How much is that Starbucks drink that you have in your hand? Oh, it's five five twenty five, right? <laughs> If you work out, if Starbucks was gas, gas price would be 50 cents a gallon. Have you ever heard anybody go, you know, my drink at Starbucks went up 30 cents? Never heard it, right? Because we, we kind of believe this lie. Well, you can, you can buy less. You can do less. There's, there's things we can change in our lives. And more money doesn't always make life easier. Now, I want, to, I want to read some stories today um, and, and talk through a few things like this, because I want to talk about, it's not actually about money. Uh, Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, he says, no one can serve two masters. You're either going to love the one, hate the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. And then Jesus says, you can't serve both God and money. What, what he's saying is, in our lives, there is a priority that we have to decide who we are. And either we are gods or we are the world's. And it's pretty easy to know the difference because if we are gods, it's not that we never complain or never get upset about money or other types of things, but it doesn't define who we are. You see, in our world, money has become identity. Money is who we are. And Jesus actually has a lot to say about this. If you look up identity in the dictionary, it'll say something like this, and I'm going to read this just to make sure. The distinguishing character or personality of an individual, meaning it's the thing that defines you, or it's individuality. The relation established by psychological identification. We start to think that the stuff we have is who we are. Giving name through false or stolen goods. It's, it's kind of a very bizarre and weird thing. But it basically says... The stuff that is around me, the stuff that is external in my life is actually the stuff that I'm going to use to define what is internal to me. Let me give you an example of this because this is not a new thing. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus has an encounter with a person that we call the rich young ruler or the rich ruler or the, the rich young man or whatever we might call it. Okay, and, and we kind of understand this. This is a person of prominence. This is a person who understands wealth, a person who has it. Okay, they're, they're killing all the records with whatever, whatever's going on in their life. It says, a certain ruler asked Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus kind of says, well, just, just be, a good, be a good person, right? Be a, be a moral person. Be a, not a religious person, but be a person of faith. Jesus says, you, do, you know in verse 20, you know the commandments. Don't, don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, Don't lie honor your parents and he says well I've I've done all these things when Jesus heard this he said to him you still lack one thing go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor and then you will have treasure in heaven and then you can come follow me and it says when the man heard this he went away very sad because he was very wealthy his identity was in the stuff and when Jesus said if you want to really step into your faith if you really want to get the thing that you obviously cannot buy, it's going to cost you more than you're willing to pay. And it says he goes away. No, I'm, uh, no, that's, that's too much, Jesus. I, I, I can't do that. I, can't, I don't want to change my life. I don't want to change my habits. If you had said, you know, maybe give a little more to charity or maybe, you know, I, I could have done that. But this is who I am. You see, what we learn in Scripture is that greed represents false identity. When we are about the more, it becomes the false identity. If you look at uh, just one, verse, uh, one chapter over, um, Luke 19, you have the rich young ruler in, in chapter 18, and then in, in, verse, in chapter 19 you have the story of Zacchaeus, which is no coincidence, I would imagine. It's kind of two stories, one on one side, one on the other. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was wealthy. Here we go. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he couldn't see over the crowd, so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree And when he saw Jesus coming his way. Jesus reached the spot and looked up at him and said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down and at once welcomed Jesus. All the people saw this and began to say, Well, he's gone to go and eat with a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and he says, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions away to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody, which I have, I'll pay it back four times. Jesus said, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and save that which is lost. We have these two stories. They're two different people. But the second one is the one that wins. Because Zacchaeus is no longer going to determine his life through a false identity. How often do we allow money to control us? How often do you check your bank account? How often do you look at your stocks? Don't look at your stocks right now. It'll just make you mad. Okay? It'll be okay. Give it some time. But how much do we allow money to control us? And, and my estimation for all of us is that we give too much of our identity away to that. Most of us in this room, and I know we may not always feel this way, but most of us in this room are actually pretty wealthy, are actually, we have a lot. Look at where we live, look at what we experience. And a lot of people say, well, you don't know where I live or what I do. If you look at that in comparison to the rest of the world, it's it's hugely different, right? We're not living on $30 a month. This is why when Paul writes to Timothy, who is a young pastor, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 and following, it says, Command those who are rich, that's us, in this present world, not to be arrogant, not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. God wants us to have a good life. Command them to do good to be rich in deeds and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is actually life, that is truly life, that is real life. This writing is saying, stop creating an identity in something that does not last, that goes up, and down. Could you imagine what our world would be if we established our moods, and I know sometimes we do, based on gas prices? How would you like to go to work if you're like, oh, it went up five cents last night. Oh, this is going to be a terrible day. Hey, it went down. It's going to be a good day. And yet we do. We maybe passively do that. And Paul is saying, be careful of, of that. Where else in our lives do we struggle with false identity? Uh, I'm going to pick on a few things today. The first one is what I'm going to just call the metaverse, social media, online. We build these, these profiles. We want people to like us. We want people to subscribe to us. We want people to engage with us. And, and what we learn, or what, maybe what I've learned, maybe what some of us haven't learned yet, and maybe what we need to try to teach our kids, is that a lot of the things that you see behind this dark curtain called the internet is a projection of a false self it's not who we actually are and if you're looking for something you can find it you can find people that agree with you you can find people that say this is actually who you are you can find all kinds of things this is a really weird weird tangent story but i'm going to tell you anyway Um, you know, during COVID, we did a lot of online stuff and we had to start thinking about, okay, what does the church look like with that, that kind of that online arm now? So you can watch our services online. Some people are right now, all that kind of stuff. And it's great that we do that. But there was a big debacle a little while ago because there was this uh, truly virtual church that was created and everybody had to build um, an avatar and they would literally go to church. As avatars. And there was a discussion among pastors. I'm not making this up. Discussion among pastors. Because one person on a metaverse baptism Sunday got baptized in their, you know, recliner at home, but their avatar got baptized and they were starting a discussion to say, does that count as me making a commitment to Christ? Something wrong with that. But that's the world we're living in. That's the world that our kids are growing up in. We're being told that there, there are alternate realities. There are alternate universes. Not out there, right here. And this is something that we need to be aware of. We need to understand that this is happening. Our world is struggling with identity. Our world is struggling with who we are. That's why we have financial identity or a false identity or even a sexual identity. We live in an overly sexualized culture. We kind of always have, and it's it's just been a little more hidden than it now is. But now it's all out there. I mean, literally all out there. And and we have people, sometimes even for ourselves, that there's something wrong with the way that we see the world because The projection of the world is to draw us in. That's always the enemy's plan, to draw you in, to have more of your time. And whatever it takes to do that, they're willing to do. There's a couple of of things. I'm just going to read a few more things and then we'll be be done here. Jesus kind of warns about a lot of these things. In Mark chapter 7, beginning in verse 14, it says, Again Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen to me. And understand this, nothing outside of a person can defile them unless it goes into them, unless it becomes their identity. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. After he left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about the parable. He says, are you so dull? What he says, he probably looks at them and just goes, idiots. Right? I think Jesus says that to me a lot. He's like, idiot. Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from outside can defile them. For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach and then out of the body. Jesus was talking about foods, clean and unclean. He went on to say, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, Envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and they defile a person. And Jesus is saying, you've got to be careful what you let in. Because if you let it in, it'll start coming out of you. And you'll kind of allow it to take more of your identity than you probably need to. You know, sex and orientations have become defining identities in our church. And I, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that we need to now just raise our hands and wave them around and try to exclude as many people as we can. But I think we've got to learn to have healthy conversations about these things. And right now, we don't know how to do that. Right now, we don't know how to actually love people where they are because we've built so many walls and lines. This is why sex can be so destructive, and especially when you talk to to young people. This is why you shouldn't have sex outside of marriage, whether before or after marriage. It's dangerous, because there's a context that this is meant to be in, and our world has taken that context and completely defiled it, and said it has no value. And, And what we've done now is we've kind of thrown everything up in the air, and we're just sort of seeing what lands on people, and it is awful and terrible, Now, I'm I'm no prune. I'm a realist. When I do premarital counseling, I know what's going on. I'm not oblivious. What, like seven out of 10 are already living together. Almost all of them are already having sex. And part of me is saying, listen, guys, I'm not here to judge you, but I'm here to tell you that that's dangerous. When your kids are going out into the world and they're being told, just try everything and see what you like, it's dangerous. We've got to protect our families, and our children. It doesn't mean that we do that at the exclusion of others, but we've got to recognize that the enemy will use anything to get our attention. We've got to be on guard about that. That's why I think when the writer of Hebrews says in, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author, the perfecter of our faith, who for joy set before Him, endured the cross, scoffing at shame, and sat down at the right hand of God so that we could have identity. Our world is struggling with identity but our identity is in Christ. That's the call of scripture. Start with Jesus. Start there. You don't have to figure all this stuff out, but stop letting all the other things come into your life. Give your focus to Jesus first. It doesn't mean you're never gonna struggle. It doesn't mean you're never gonna have hardship. It doesn't mean that life's not gonna be hard sometimes. But look at Jesus first. Don't be so distracted. This morning we're just going to have kind of a a little moment of of reflection here in a little bit. Maybe there's some questions that we need to ask in our lives and we all need to ask them. I haven't perfected this. But who am I? What do I most need from God right now? What am I asking for? Sometimes just just stopping and taking stock of where we are, where is my identity? Am I a little too obsessed with how much money's in the bank or what the stocks are doing? What am I giving my my focus to? Because I guarantee you whatever focus we 're giving away we 're not giving to him we 've got to take stock of where we are, what we 're doing. I know there's some uh, some of us are carrying some heavy things, I know. And uh, it's okay to lay them down. Don, it's so great to see you here today. I know it's been a couple months since you've, since you've been here. Karen, you're a champion. This church has been praying for you. It's so great that we get to kind of see you here today. I know there's others of you that have been sick, been gone. We've missed you. We've been praying for you. Maybe today is just one of those moments where we say, you know what? I just need to kind of be real about where I'm at. God, who who am I in your presence? What what am I really asking for? I don't know. If you need someone to pray with you, just call someone over. Let's do this together. But don't give away your identity to things that won't last. Give your identity, identity to Jesus. And he will guard it and protect it. And he may not give you every single thing you ask for. But I promise you, he'll give you abundantly more than what the alternatives are. So let's just maybe take a moment. April's just going to play some acoustic music. If you want to come down and symbolically lay something at the feet of Jesus, you can. Wherever you're at secure your identity in Christ.